0: If you like to do this, or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emory's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports.
2: Hey, I'm Tim Eccles. I'm vice chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission. You guys know how much I love EVs. I'm on my sixth electric vehicle, and I have in my makeshift studio today two ladies who are doing a lot to expand EVs in Georgia. You've heard all about what's going on across the country but Georgia is really stepping up. So I want to introduce you to Kelly Newman and Stephanie Gossman. Kelly, welcome to Energy Matters. Thank you, Commissioner Eccles. Thank you so much for having us here today. And you went to Georgia Southern. So Georgia Southern has become you know, a research university, big school. It's as big now as when I was at UGA in the 80s. What was it like going to a big school in South Georgia near the coast?
1: So I'm from the Southeast Georgia area, um, so I was able to stay close to home when I went to college, but I really enjoyed that opportunity, being able to stay close to home and enjoy the, the larger university setting. I thought that Georgia Southern offered a lot of programs of interest to me. Um, I enjoyed the campus. I enjoyed getting to know the people there, and just all around, it was a great university for me, a great fit.
2: You know, so many people that work at Georgia Power, hate to say this, but they went to Auburn. They're, 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 they're these Auburn Tiger Eagles or whatever they call themselves over there. Uh, but this company, I don't know why. Maybe it's because the Southern Company, you know, was in Alabama and they've got the Alabama Power. But don't you get tired of, of just hearing all about Auburn this, Auburn that?
1: So I do hear a lot about the rivalries with the larger SEC schools uh, in the area, and I just really let those conversations play out, and I listen, and then at the end, I just say, go Eagles.
2: Yeah, because y'all are Eagles, too. And, I mean, Coach Erk Russell left UGA and came down to Georgia Southern, and, I mean, y'all won, like, a national championship.
1: Yeah, six of them. Go Eagles. <laughs> yes, we oh, did.
2: Oh, my goodness. Okay. On the other side of me, Stephanie Gossman, speaking of Alabama, she went to Alabama. She went to that school that has given the University of Georgia a lot of problems.
3: We also brought you Kirby Smart.
2: Yeah. Kirby, I was with him recently. We did a, a, an event over at UGA, and he he's due. He's ready to win that national championship and finally beat his former boss.
3: Hmm, agree to disagree. But I'm rooting for Kirby, <laughs> except against us. Right. So but yes, Alabama is my home. Um, went to the University of Alabama, electrical engineering. I also went to tech. So I claim that is my ACC school, too.
2: I mean, how cool is it? I mean, let's just for a second, remember that we're all Southerners, right? And so we go to these conferences, you know, California, up north. How cool is it to be from the number one football school? In America.
3: Feels great now. We weren't that when I was there, though. (laughs) But absolutely, happy to
2: represent. And so you gals are working in this EV area. Give me your, your titles and kind of what you'll be doing. Let me start with you, Stephanie, and we'll go back to Kelly.
3: Absolutely. So I'm the electric transportation manager, and we have two programs within our team. So community charging program and the make ready program. And so I lead the team that Um, that manages both of those and implements them for
1: the state of Georgia. And Kelly, how about you? So I'm a market specialist on the electric transportation team, and I work specifically on the community charging program. So
2: let me ask you, Kelly, because you're, you're more on the marketing side and Stephanie's got that engineering degree. Are you hearing more and more companies, Fortune 500 companies, say, it's time for us to move into the realm of electric vehicles.
1: Yes, I am. They are. They have a lot of sustainability goals down that they're really trying to achieve. Um, really taking that seriously to try to um, look for renewable. Uh, fueling sources for either their customers or their employees coming in. So something that that people are really interested in these days as companies. Uh, Workplace charging is a big big thing that we hear about these days. Um, So really looking forward to helping companies and partnering with companies to help them achieve
2: those sustainability goals. You know, as I drive to Savannah, there's a couple of chargers down that way, Macon and then Dublin at the Burger King and then Metter uh, at, at Parker's uh, and then on into Savannah. But it is important for us to have a chain of chargers isn't it to be able to make this work
1: yes it is and that's what we are really working to do with the community charger program is to build that critical infrastructure to make that EV adoption available um, to make people feel comfortable switching to an EV um, knowing that they have chargers they have ways to charge in public when they're on the go not just at home um, so really having that network around uh, also it gives us an opportunity to let Georgians you know really travel around the state of Georgia enjoy all of the sceneries and that includes
2: rural areas as well stephanie as you think about companies that are using vehicles that run for hours upon hours you think about delivery vans you think about uh you know commercial trucks these are these aren't just a commuter vehicle that you go 45 minutes and it sets all day these are vehicles that are using a lot of energy. They would normally have a lot of greenhouse gas uh, exhaust. And here are companies trying to make this switch and your make ready program is really an effort to be able to help them to be able to do it in the uh, i guess with as little pain as possible because there's if you if you if you take a a lot of chargers to one location like at the pivot facility that i just left that is a lot of energy i don't think people realize how much power we're talking about
3: absolutely i I think it goes across different customer segments, different industries. One I think we're really excited about so far is the impact for refrigerated trucking. So that's that's where we see a lot, I mean, in terms of the carbon footprint reduction, a lot of opportunity. Um, that's just one industry, one example. But absolutely, more vehicles coming on the road that will be electric. The Make Ready program has a great opportunity to support them. Whatever their needs, whatever the vehicle type, we just have to get them here, right? <laughs>
2: That's right, we do. And and having a program for them that can save them money, uh, it's just great. And the thing I love about the Make Ready program is that the utility does part of it and the company does part of it. So both parties have some investment, right? Yes, we we do
3: the infrastructure behind the meter, everything on the utility side, but then everything up until the charging equipment. And that's so the company The customer can choose whatever equipment is best for them, and it could be a mixture, right? It's not just one-size-fits-all, so they can really make the decision that's best for them, whether it's for business operations, for their employees, for public charging opportunities, for their customers. We can find a way to make it work for them.
2: Kelly, as you talk with companies about the opportunity for the make-ready uh, do you find that that there are a lot of novices out there that they've heard about cars, maybe they've seen a Tesla, maybe they have an employee that has a couple of Nissan Leafs but Are you finding that the education process needs to be fairly thorough?
1: It does. Um, We've gotten a lot of new interest. Um, We do have EV drivers out there who are really pushing it within their own companies. If they're already an EV driver, they want to see those charging opportunities at the workplace. Um, And then we have those that are not EV drivers yet who are in an education mode, um, who are educating themselves on what technology do they want, which one, you know, what technology works best for their business, which one works best for their home. Um, So a lot of... There's, there's a there's a variety of learning going on here, lots of uh, levels of learning right now. So it's really, it's exciting to see everybody, you know, wanting to know more, um, you know, wanting to look at those news articles, you know, figure out what car is coming out next and just, just a lot of interest that's been in the workplace uh,
2: industry lately. Stephanie, we're talking education here now for a second. You've been an EV driver for, for some time. Do you find that Your personal anecdotal experience as an EV driver helps you as you try to explain the difference between the cars and the chargers and the make ready and the opportunities and why this and why not that. How important is your personal experience?
3: It's very important. And I tell you, I've been reminded a lot lately, just in some conversations where I I start from a different point because I have that foundation, but I'm reminded time and time again that that foundation is not there for everybody. And so there's some very basic questions, opportunities for education, as Kelly was mentioning, a lot of interest there. And as more vehicles come out, more technologies become available. I think the, the questions continue to grow and we have a greater opportunity to, to find something that fits everybody's needs.
2: You know, I'm, I'm driving. I have a couple of EVs right now. I've got the, the, the Nissan Leaf, an older Leaf that my wife drives, and her duty cycle, excuse using that term to my listeners, uh, that, that's kind of how we think of these things, uh, you know, commercially, but her duty cycle is driving 12 miles to one grandbaby and driving 15 miles to the other grandbaby, and she's grandbaby crazy, and we're helping our kids with some child care not to mention just getting to know my grandkids, which I absolutely love. So, she's driving the Leaf. I'm driving the 2017 Volt. And the Chevy Volt, for the you, you that haven't seen it, they're not making it anymore. But I have a 2017. I have 80,000 miles on it now. I've put 50,000 miles on this car in the last year. So... I absolutely am driving all over the state of Georgia, but that Volt, I don't ever have to worry about charging along the way. I charge it one end or I charge it the other, or like now, even as we're doing this radio interview, I'm plugged in outside. So I'm getting my miles and the next place I go, I'll look for a charger, I'll plug in. But Stephanie, that's kind of how EV people do that. And when we come back, I, I want to talk more about You know, how EV drivers think and what we need to do in in corporate America to kind of get corporate America and fleet managers and everything ready for this. So, stick around. I've got Kelly Newman, I've got Stephanie Gossman with Georgia Power. We're going to talk more about EVs, and maybe you're ready for the first EV. So, we'll be right back. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters.
4: Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good.
0: Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at gassouth.com GasSouth, The difference is good.
4: Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC.
2: but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with Kelly and Stephanie in my makeshift studio. We're talking EVs. You guys know I love EVs. Uh, I'm on my sixth EV. Uh, I have a Volt and a a Nissan Leaf. So Stephanie, let's start with you. What's been your EV experience? How many of them have have you had and what, what are you driving now?
3: So our journey, and I say ours, it's, it's a family journey for us. It started about seven and a half years ago when we had our first LEAF here in Georgia because of the incentives. And so we, we did have the LEAF then, and then we went on ahead and did the second one. And then from there, we've had two Teslas. So we've got the Model X and the Model 3 right now. But we've been EV only for five and a half years and learned a lot, but also found a way to integrate it into our regular routines, having young kids. We recognize we can get where we need to go now. But that wasn't always the case.
2: So let me ask you uh, the gender of your children. Do you have any boys? Two boys. You know, I've got I've got three boys and four girls. And my girls love these electric cars. Um, my boys, on the other hand, uh, they kind of mock me. Uh, and they mock the cars. And I, I, I go to the racetrack a lot. Two of my sons involved in auto racing, and it's like, Dad, we would never come here if it was an electric car uh, race. And I mean, Kelly, you know, obviously you're dealing with men, you're dealing with women. Um, have you ever had anyone talk about the noise associated with a quiet electric car?
1: Um, I have. Uh, I've I've had people that are surprised how quiet they are. Um, they want to know if they're even running, um, but also on the other hand, you have um, people who like to hear their vehicles. So when they don't hear the vehicle, um, they they maybe think it doesn't work as well as it should, or work as well as the truck that or car that makes noise that they have. Um, so I would say that, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to see how some people like quiet vehicles, some people like louder vehicles. Well, the electric, you're going to have a quiet one all the time. So, um, you know, looking at Looking at noise, you know, some people like it, some people don't, and um, it's a difference with electric vehicles. So,
2: hey, if you're just joining us, I'm talking to Kelly Newman. You just heard her voice and Stephanie Gossman. They were Georgia Power. They work with the electric transportation department. The Porsche Taycan uh, and. And by the way, uh, you may say Porsche, but if you go to Porsche North America and you listen to the Germans say it, they say it with two syllables. So let's just say it Porsche, the way the Germans say it. But the Taycan, their latest ele- fully electric vehicle, we had one of these out at the EV Corral at the Petit Lava. I can't speak French, but the Petit Lama at Road Atlanta, and the Porsche representative was telling me that they are offering an artificial noise. In this car, for about four hundred fifty dollars, you get artificial noise that sounds like, a, I guess, a regular, you know, Porsche GT Carrera or something. But uh, they told me, Kelly, that most people order the car with the additional noise. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me at all. It really
1: doesn't, and and I think it's a really interesting feature. Uh, while while the perception is that most people want things quiet. Um, in reality, people, and I think, you know, hearing the sound of a vehicle, it's just comforting to know that the car is running, you know, it's there to do what it's supposed to do. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that people are ordering it with that feature.
2: I know Harley-Davidson is making an electric motorcycle. And I was down at Jekyll Island. I go Jekyll a lot. It's my favorite island And I was walking to the old amphitheater that's no longer in service. It's kind of in the middle of the island. And I ran into this Harley Davidson guy, this old guy. And we just started talking about Jekyll and whatnot. And I wound up doing an interview with him. His name's Fred, and we had him on the show. But Fred was saying that for him, it is therapeutic to get on this loud motorcycle he called it wind therapy. And and so he just said, I can never drive an electric. I just have to have the noise. Uh, I mean, Stephanie, as you think about this objection, we hear about range anxiety. We hear about, you know, this and that. But noise, I mean, that seems kind of a, a funny objection to an electric car.
3: Agreed. I <laughs> I have never really thought about that personally um, in terms of just driving an EV, right? But I can tell you what I can do is I can beat you off the line. I don't care what your car sounds like or doesn't sound like. And hopefully your sons, I don't know if you've challenged them to a race, but that's the reality for me. And I I look at that. If I can think it, I can do it. And I love the responsiveness of the EVs.
2: I want to talk, Kelly, just a second about what Stephanie's talking about, about the responsiveness, because – In Georgia we had a tax credit Stephanie mentioned it it was a five thousand dollar state tax credit you could take it on a lease or a purchase I took two of them just like she did it it did make that car almost free and that was part of the Republicans uh, I guess object objections to this however um, Republicans throughout South Georgia I think felt like it was Metro Atlanta that was really taking advantage of this, and there's already this kind of resentment in South Georgia. I mean, you were you were in Statesboro. You know what I'm talking about. You, you you look at Atlanta as like another country, don't you? A little. It's a it's
1: it's a lot different though. I mean, there there's a lot going on in Atlanta that's not going on in Statesboro, and a lot going
2: on in Statesboro that's not going on in Atlanta. So. Okay, you're being too nice, but okay, we'll we'll just we'll just we'll just let let it let it go. But let me ask you this: since you're a marketing person, how cool will it be when South Georgia guys? And by the way, the difference between a North Georgia home and a South Georgia home is that North Georgia you have a basketball goal in the driveway, in South Georgia you have a boat in every driveway. So that's that's the main difference if you if you travel uh, and, and see it. But how cool will it be? When my South Georgia buddies start buying an F-150 Lightning that has true four-wheel drive, motor on every wheel, that'll outrun a Corvette, that they can plug all of their construction equipment to, and by the way, we can plug our house into it when we have an outage. That is going to be a game changer, Kelly, and I think that will usher in a new tax credit. It will be when I think Republicans embrace it, the F-150 Lightning, in my opinion, is the key to an overall attitude change in Georgia. Am I crazy? No,
1: I think you're exactly right. I mean, we have electric cars now. We've got the SUVs on the horizon, some already out. And that really just leaves that truck market left for the majority of drivers. Um, I think once we have those trucks introduced, those passenger trucks introduced into the market, you then are encompassing ninety eight, ninety nine percent of the market that's on the road. Then you have everyone's attention, right? Almost everyone's attention. The F-150, just throwing out the F-150, all the trucks will at least meet what the gas-powered trucks are offering right now with torque, horsepower, hauling capabilities, towing capabilities. If you can offer that same thing with electric trucks, which the market is showing that we'll be able to do that, and then you supplement it also with some of the intelligent sensors that will be on electric car, uh, electric trucks, then you start to build that consumer confidence. Then all of a sudden, you don't have a, an opportunity to say... Well, an electric truck won't do what my truck will do. You know, my gas-powered truck will do. Well, actually, it will, and it could do more as well. So, I think you—I think building that consumer confidence. Um, demonstrating the capabilities, because I see a lot of trucks where I live, you know, and they all make a lot of noise. (laughs) A lot of them do, so obviously we need that noise that Porsche is thinking of to be offered with the trucks as well, but just really thinking you're rounding out that market, bringing on the trucks. I think it's a new way to really change that EV market um, adoption in a positive
2: way. So Stephanie, let's hop over the Chattahoochee River and go over to Alabama, um, where you're from. is this going to be the same dynamic in Alabama that, that South Georgia guys that drive trucks, the Alabama guys, do you see them adopting an F-150 Lightning and being excited about that down the road?
3: I, I do. I do. Um, I think there, back to the education piece, there's a lot more to cover there for them to be willing to take that, that step. But absolutely, I think there's a huge market there, and we love our trucks.
2: Yeah, the F-150 – you know and think about this from a marketing perspective kelly that battery is going to be made in my home county of jackson county at the sk innovation plant what might the impact of a georgia made battery in an electric car which you think about it it's not the engine of the car but it's certainly an important part of the powertrain what kind of good feeling might a georgia grown battery have huh
1: yeah. I mean, people like local. Um, they, they want to support local businesses um, when they see that uh, a, a product is being built in their hometown, in their home state. I believe I think they believe in it. Um, they know that it's quality work. Um, they know that it's a quality product. And uh, I think it really gives a, another positive look at some of these electric truck batteries.
2: Where can folks find out about the Georgia Power Electric Transportation programs. Uh, I know it's on your website. Tell us where they can find it.
1: So it would be georgiapower.com. Uh, there's a couple of different ways. You can go directly to georgiapower.com slash make ready. That will take you to the make ready program. Um, and then just our georgiapower.com website. And you can see there through residential or business it will take you to our electric transportation page and give you more information about community charging program, make ready program. We also have some educational opportunities in the on the website as well uh, some calculators where you could really plug in your mileage, you know, where your commute, um, kind of see your savings, that type of thing. So we've really tried to make it a one-stop shop for uh, a great education piece for consumers, as well as how to start implementing electric uh, technologies within their business and home plate on and home.
2: When we come back, we're going to talk about What's, going to be, what it, what's it going to be like in 10 years? What's the impact of this battery plant that I mentioned? We're going to talk about the possibility maybe that the power company one day might even sell EVs. Who knows? I mean, they're selling a lot of other things in their marketplace. We're going to talk about the grid and whether the grid can handle the EV growth and a lot of other fun stuff. I've got Kelly here. I've got Stephanie. We're having a great time. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it, and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state of the art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin's services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings. Today. hey Tim Eccles, back for another segment with Kelly and Stephanie with Georgia Power Electric Transportation. I know there's a lot of tweets out there because I retweet your stuff. It's good stuff out there, and you guys have uh, at georgiapower.com forward slash make ready. And this this make ready stuff is helping companies be able to to have chargers. Stephanie, I mean, you got an engineering degree. What kind of stuff? do you have to do at a customer site in order to prepare for them to have like five or six chargers like Porsche has down there that's two hundred and fifty kilowatts?
3: Well sometimes there are some upgrades that need to happen to support that level of charging and, and the power draw that it requires. But that that's one of our core competencies as the utility, as an energy service provider, we can work with the design we work with the team to implement a design, construct it, and then we'll maintain it.
2: You know, as we think about the crisis that Texas had over the winter, um, we think about California, and sometimes I'll see the mayor uh, or the governor's tweets out there, and they'll be asking people to turn power off at three o'clock in a summer afternoon. And I'm, I'm going, good grief, if I were doing that, I'd probably lose my job here. Uh, but, I mean, the grid has got to be prepared for this growth that y'all are talking about. And it doesn't seem like California's ready I don't think they're offering like the the special EV time of use rate that Georgia Power has been doing for five years and some of the other things I mean what's what are y'all doing to get ready for a one percent growth per year or maybe more in EVs, Stephanie
3: yeah no that's a really good point I mean the time of use rate how do we plan for these and we do have processes internally where we're continuously looking at the opportunity in terms of load growth no matter what it is. So that's that's part of our regular process. I would say the 1%, I've seen that number as well from EPRI is what I think you're referencing. And so that that is a typical growth that we see and expect. So again fits within our processes. But in addition to that, what we're doing, we're participating in industry conversations, industry studies. We have a couple of white papers recently that Georgia Powers participated in with NREL and with Sandia National Labs to look at residential as well as fleet large truck electrification and what that impact might be to the grid.
2: Kelly, uh, this time of use rate and to our audience, I've got Kelly Newman and Stephanie Gossman here from Georgia Power Electric Transportation. Time of use rate is a different way of buying electricity and it and it I think it's very attractive to geeky people like me who want to save, who want to save money, who really want to to, to kind of monitor how they're how they're using energy. Are you finding that more and more people are paying attention? Are they they looking at data? Do they want more information from kind of from a a customer standpoint?
1: Yes, I would say that our EV drivers are particularly interested in this uh, time of use rate that we have. Uh, The super off peak is very, you know, about a penny and a half um, per kilowatt hour. Uh, is is what they're enjoying you know throughout the night that that super off peak period Um, we do have a new program in that we've just launched late may called smart smart charge georgia Um, and this is a one-year driver pilot study uh, where drivers can sign up to receive a device to install in their vehicle and they're willing to share their data with us as far as what time you charge how long you charge um where you're charging, whether it's workplace, at home, public charging. Um, So they're willing to share this data with us. Uh, We had an overwhelming response uh, from our email campaign. It was open to 270 participants. Uh, We filled that participant list within 48 hours. Uh, So strong interest from the EV community on that. Um, There is an incentive for these drivers of up to $110 if they participate in the program for a year. And we're really thinking that these analytics that we'll be getting from these drivers will really, really help us understand grid impacts in the future, grid impacts to our existing uh, infrastructure. Um, And then also, you know, what drivers like? What do they not like? You know, how can we best tailor our programs to fit those EV drivers?
2: I speak at a lot of places um, almost every day. some some place different, and one of the things that I tell people is that electric vehicles charged in the middle of the night, providing greater grid efficiency, puts downward pressure on rates. And so, as we scale up electric vehicles, if we can incentivize customers to charge during that overnight hour, is actually helpful, isn't it?
3: It absolutely is. I mean, the grid, the way things run at night right now, there's there's a loss in terms of efficiency because there's not as much demand. I mean, it's a a supply and demand type of ongoing real-time management requirement. And if the supply and demand get out of whack, you have to make some changes. And that's where some of the inefficiencies can come. And it can be more efficient if we add some load at night to help balance that out.
2: So I find that from a marketing standpoint, Kelly, that people have a hard time grasping this, that they, you know, most people have never been to a power plant. They just get a bill. And, you know, they've grown very used to reliable power here in Georgia. We're not Australia. We're not California. You know, we're 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 not Texas. And so uh, they're used to reliability and they count on reliability. So when you start asking them to change their energy usage habits, it's, I think, sometimes even an uncomfortable thing so as you explain these rates and things to people what how how do you explain it to people and help them to understand kind of how the grid works
1: so i always start with um, the energy efficiency uh, perspective you know we have we've talked about energy efficiency for years now whether it's you know appliances you know whatever you're using in your home light uh, light bulbs and People are used to that. People have understood what are understanding what energy efficiency is. Now they know conserving electricity is important. They can see it on their power bill when their power bill is lower. Um, so when you start talking about it from the utility side of it, uh, we're just as interested in energy efficiency as well. So I think the 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 knowledge, the foundation of knowledge that people have gained over the past twenty years with energy efficiency, as that has grown, that that. Education awareness has grown. I think people are better are understanding uh, more of the utility side of it too, and seeing the utilities try to be more energy efficient and how electricity is used. So we're tailoring programs to where energy is used at certain time or incentivized at certain times of the day, at certain times of the night. So I think people are more inclined to help tailor that energy load, um, you know, based on their based on their needs. And they see that it's not that big of a swing in what they're needing to use their power, or you know, maybe, maybe change the mindset of when you do when you wash clothes or dry clothes, um, or when you're charging your electric vehicle. And I think us having this foundation yeah. of, of education now for electric vehicles, people want to know when is the best time I can charge this. And I'm not just looking at it for me, but from the utility side too. You know what what helps everyone in this. You know, as we're all in this together. you know, how does this help each other best?
2: Stephanie, we've talked about on the radio show before that reliability is kind of the, the foundation of the pyramid. If you want to look at a utility and your logo is a pyramid. So if you want to look at the bottom level of that as reliability and you've you know, utilities have to get that right because the other value-added services that you might provide, we've been talking about one of them, that is counseling customers on electric vehicles, providing chargers in their home, providing chargers in a, at a destination, providing chargers in, a, uh, in the venue as they travel. But that reliability is so important to have the trust and confidence of the customer so that they actually believe you about something else. And I know you guys have gotten JD Power awards for for being a trusted utility and reliability. I mean, I don't work at the company obviously, but I regulate you all. But that's one of the things that I've really appreciated about Georgia Power is that commitment to getting you know, the the main thing, the main thing in reliability.
3: Absolutely. And that's one of our three main focuses, right, is safety, reliability, and affordability for our customers. And it's not just in the day-to-day. We all want our light switch to turn on, but also in the storms, how we respond when the lights go out.
2: Yeah, I've gone to these, quote, man camps, nothing against y'all ladies, but it was mostly men there. These men camps uh, at, at a storm, they've set up you know, they've set up, you know, the, the, the portable toilets, the portable showers, the portable sleeping, the portable food service. They've got all the truck states there. I mean, it is no simple thing that when everybody else is leaving, here comes the power company trucks and you guys are getting set up. And people, I think, would be really surprised at you know, how much effort is required, how much advanced planning and logistics in order to provide this, uh, this resiliency in a storm.
3: Yes, the the folks who respond in a storm, and I, I would say line men, line women, but but it's all it's everyone who handles the logistics, who from everything with sleeping arrangements, the food, everything you just mentioned,
1: getting us fuel and maintaining the vehicles. We've demonstrated that that we do have that reliability, and in times where you know in, in a storm situation, we are doing everything we can, uh, pulling out all the stops, trying to get that power back on. Uh, we know it's important to our customers. Um, that is our that is our our core, you know, is making sure that that, that power is on, um, that it's reliable, and you know, just just reinforcing that with customers as I'm talking to them about electric vehicles. Uh, you know, I trust it, and here's why you should trust it. You know, it's it's a proven we, we've we've proven reliability here, and um, and really take that as a very 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 important thing that we that we work on day in and day out.
2: When we come back, one more segment with the ladies. We're going to talk about the future. I mean, what's it going to look like in Ten years. How? Wow! What kind of growth are we going to have with these EVs? Are homes going to be required to have EV chargers? Are businesses? Is this going to continue to be something that really makes a difference in our country? And why? So stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. We'll be right back.
0: This segment of
4: Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth-Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and, of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth-Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com.
2: Hey, Tim Eccles back. One more segment with the ladies, Kelly Newman and Stephanie Gossman, Georgia Power Electric. Transportation Department. Stephanie went to University of Alabama. Boo! Uh, and Kelly went to Georgia Southern. Oh, I got to tell you a funny story. Uh, and I can say this about my colleague now. So Chuck Eaton, uh, who is now a judge, former commissioner, went to the University of Alabama. We were over at a Building and Trades Union Top Golf experience at the University of Georgia. Right. So our show originates in Athens. We were at the the top golf setup on the bridge. And Stephanie, I don't expect you to know what the bridge is, you know, because you went to Alabama. Uh, but you probably know, Kelly, you've probably been to ball games uh, over there. Anyway, we went up and we we hit those golf balls. I don't even play golf, but it was fun. Uh, so hit those go- golf balls into the field, onto the G. I mean, how cool is that? And then we went down for a little a little uh, dinner and. The MC of the event says, "Did anyone lose these keys?" And it had an Alabama keychain on it. And I was sitting there at the table. There's about 150 people in the room, and I knew my colleague went to Alabama. I looked at Chuck. I saw him feeling his pockets, and then he stood up. He wasn't even wearing a red and black shirt. He was wearing a light blue shirt. For goodness sakes, uh, and. And as he stood up and smiled and looked at the MC and held up his hand, there was a hiss, a boo across the crowd, because Georgia, Georgia people, they hate Alabama. They hate them. Um, and Chuck went up there, boos and hisses, and he and he comes back and and sits down. And it was—I mean, he thought it was funny, of course. I mean, he's from Alabama, uh, but it was Stephanie. A hilarious thing watching him feel his pockets and then realize, "Oh no, it's me."
3: Hey, that that's okay. I I hope he represented with pride. It sounds like he did, so I'm proud of him.
2: (laughs) I told him that Kirby Spark's probably getting a pension or something from over there. So, um, so we're talking EVs, uh, and these ladies work every day. They think of they they get up, they go to bed thinking about electric vehicles. Kelly, let me ask you, as you think about the challenge that we have, maybe just over the next few years, as we roll out the more community charging islands, more make ready, what is the the thing that you're talking about the most and you're really focusing on to get to kind of the next step?
1: So my focus, uh, one of the main things that I think about is I want to reduce that range anxiety. I want people to feel comfortable getting in an EV and understanding and knowing that they can get to their destination um, without wondering what, what's what's where am I going to stop? Where can I charge? Our focus on community chargers, even in rural areas, is so important around the state of Georgia. We're looking to open up that travel across the state, looking at filling corridors, all in the state of Georgia, Um, not only corridors, but maybe desert, you know, charging deserts throughout the state. Um, I know just coming into some of these rural areas, there's a lot of interest that's being peaked now, you know, and hey, well, what is this in my hometown now? Oh, it's a a DC fast charger. Well, what is that? Oh, well, that that allows me to get an EV and be able to charge in public. And oh, where's the next one? Okay, well, I can charge in this area as well. Um, So I think just growing that confidence Um, I think us showing that we're very strategic and where we are placing the chargers, um, really trying to get as big of a network as we can, trying to touch as many Georgians as we can with these chargers and that availability. So so growing the confidence and, and the understanding, the educational piece of it as well.
2: So, Stephanie, same question, you work in a little bit different area, but what are the things that you're thinking about, that you're talking about every day, kind of that, that next challenge that you see EVs having in the state of Georgia?
3: In general, I'll just caption it with the barriers to adoption, I mean, Kelly covered it well in terms of range anxiety, people being able to use the EVs the way that they want and that's in their personal lives and the business operations. What are those barriers and how can we help them? And a lot of that comes from conversations as we continue to have those educational opportunities, as these programs provide opportunities to talk and get get more knowledgeable, become more knowledgeable about what our customers need and how we can come alongside them. That's how we're learning.
2: A lot of people may have seen the Georgia Power Marketplace advertising, maybe on a bill insert or maybe on their bill. Maybe they've gone there. Maybe they've bought... Uh, some led bulbs for their home maybe they bought a nest thermostat uh, or some of the other things on there so this is a hypothetical question right so let's just fast forward 10 years let's say that evs make up 25 percent of new car sales maybe maybe 10 years maybe not Um, but could you ever see not necessarily georgia power but any big utility in a marketplace offering an ev not just a discount program but where you could maybe actually buy the electric vehicle through some dealer arrangement that they might have on their website
3: so our core competency back to that one of that is infrastructure right that that's where we really come in and where i see us fitting right now back to our programs but I do see, and and I've heard some conversations with customers where they have questions about what kind of vehicle, how can they procure that vehicle. So us finding a way to to complement them and meet their needs. Maybe there's some partnership opportunities out there, but certainly the education plays into that
2: kelly i grew up uh, on a car lot our family owned the auction and i went into the car business after college at, at ugh so i love cars uh, all of my sons love cars we love racing i'm just a, a car freak my son's flip cars so so we're we're really into it so same question to you from kind of a marketing standpoint do you ever see a day when utilities are more involved with helping people procure the electric vehicles
1: um Possibly. Um, I'm, you know, thinking along the charger side of it, more of what we would be offering or what utilities would be offering is that infrastructure. How do I charge? How do I keep this car going? We don't want to leave customers out with their education, wondering what to do. Obviously, we want to be a partner with the customer and provide as much information as we can, you know, about all makes and manufacturers of the electric vehicles.
2: I was down meeting with Porsche North America, meeting with some of their executives, and they were talking about the idea of a flying autonomous Carrera. Now, I don't own a Porsche, uh, Porsche. Uh, I don't own a Porsche, but uh, I I do love them. I love to watch them race. The idea of a flying autonomous Carrera that would pick people up at uh, an FBO at the Atlanta airport, maybe a movie person coming in, fly them down to a studio. Do you see Autonomous. I'll start with you, Stephanie, and then go to you, Kelly. Do you see autonomous electric, either rolling vehicles or flying vehicles, ever being a possibility in America?
3: I do. And that comes from the personal experience I've had with the Teslas. So I I do see that as a possibility. Now, when that happens and all of the other policies and guidance that needs to be put into place, standardization, of course, all of those things – being figured out i think are a big part of that but i do see it as a possibility yeah
2: kelly i mean we're just playing you know look at the future Uh, so what 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 do you think could could that happen
1: so i think it could i really do um i think the advances in technology are just you know they're amazing right now um when we think back just uh let's just say five seven years ago uh had not really heard much about drones but drones are a very important part of, of what we do nowadays. You know, we use them in the with the utility, you know, with transmission lines. We're looking at any uh, trouble, damage with the lines. You know, we you've got construction crews that are looking at it with their jobs. You've You know, people use drones for a variety of different ways. And if you had told me that a drone would be delivering my Amazon package one day, if you told me that 10 years ago, I would may have laughed, you know, that just didn't seem very feasible at the time. But now it's almost becoming a part of uh, what's normal. Um, so I definitely see that that could be something that that could be in the future up way out <laughs> right now. Um, you know, like Stephanie mentioned, you know, there, there's a lot of policies there that you would have to think about as far as you know, you would have to bring in FAA regulations, that type of thing, all kinds of regulations at that point, making sure that everyone is safe doing what they're doing and operating these machines.
2: And essentially, I think that what was—that's what Portia was saying—is that it would be a drone, essentially, just a scaled-up drone uh, that's just bigger than the drones that we see. I mean, recently you may have seen at the Olympics in Tokyo they had all those drones try, kind of flying together, like eighteen hundred of them. So if you can fly eighteen hundred drones. You know, in sync, I would have to think you can just make a bigger drone. Hey, as we wrap up, just a, another few minutes uh, in thinking about EVs for Georgia, uh, Stephanie. What advice would you have for a person? Maybe they're saying, "Well, okay, maybe I am ready to to look at this." What What would be the advice you would have for a customer out there that maybe is considering EVs?
3: Think about Think about how you use the vehicle. Think about your scenarios, the way that you want to use it today, tomorrow, and what works for you. Because I I believe there's a vehicle that works for you. It may not be available this moment, but it's being made, and it will be available soon. So that's where I advise people to start, is really think about how they want to use it, and then
1: we'll find the right one that works for you.
2: Same question to you, Kelly. What advice would you have for a non-EV owner at this point?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that research is really important, you know, to find the best fit for your family, for your lifestyle. Um, I also think that looking to Georgia Power Utility uh, as the partner in understanding and and part of your research is a very important thing as well.
2: It has been awesome having y'all on the show today. Kelly, Stephanie, thank you, Kelly, for being on. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed it very much. And Stephanie, good luck as you continue to work to help more folks see the value in electric vehicles. Thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We've had a great time today. If you want to know more, go to georgiapower.com forward slash make ready or just Google my name, Tim Eccles, and you'll find all you ever want to read about electric vehicles. Have a great day, everyone. And energy does matter.
4: website.com.